Today's scripture is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the, on, uh, the only men of the circumcision um, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This morning, we have a special treat. Um, we get to hear in a few minutes, we get to hear from Dr. Gary Nebaker. Um, thank you. Yeah, he deserved it. Uh, Gary has a PhD in systematic theology. Don't know what that means. He is both wise and smart, which is a hard combination to find in people. Uh, Gary is a counselor. He and his wife, Denise, counsel people not only in his state, across this country, but across the world. He has a wealth of wisdom um, to share with us from time to time. Very humble man. You wouldn't know it, but uh, anytime I spend time with him, I am blessed and awed and, and leave asking more questions of the Lord and seeking the Lord more. He's just a gentle presence and a great counselor. So let's welcome uh, Dr. Gary Nebaker. Thank you so much. 
Good morning, everybody. We are bringing our series on the epistle to the Colossians to a completion this morning. I remember reading this epistle for the first time about 43 years ago. I know, I know, I look young. <laughs> but man, was I excited. And I, I can't tell if I'm more excited than, than I am right now. But what an honor it is to be with you sharing from God's Word, from the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. Let me say a prayer for us, and we'll jump right in. Uh, our loving Lord, uh, we, we do live in troubled times. Um, we need a wisdom beyond our own. We need you, Holy Spirit. Will you stir what needs to be stirred in us as we consider the wisdom of your servant Paul in this wonderful letter of Colossians? We ask this so that you get the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Suppose sometime this week, somebody asks you this question. Co-worker, it could be a classmate at university, it could be your neighbor, it could be somebody you work out with. How would you answer this question, why is Jesus so important to you? I suppose some of us would have so much fun <laughs> answering that question. Others of us, like us, introverts would go, hmm, I need to think a minute about that. That's a good question. That's a good question. Well, when it comes to answering this question of why Jesus is so important to us, Paul's letter to the Colossian church is a great place to start. In the span of a few short verses, we see that Jesus is the ruling king of the universe. We see that he is equal to God. We see that he created the world. We see that he sustains the world. We see that he's the head of the church, a reconciler, and a peacemaker. Through his death, resurrection, and elevation to the right hand of God, he has conquered sin, death, and the powers of evil in the world. Christians have received new identities. Our lives are hidden in Christ in God so that when God sees Christ, he sees us, and when he sees us, he sees Christ. We have been given the Holy Spirit so we can live the life that God's put before us with endurance and joy and patience. These aren't simply nice things to know. <laughs> They're necessary things for us to know so that we may flourish as humans and so that we may accomplish the mission God has put us on in this world. And in this 
marvelous epistle, what Paul does, he closes with some greetings from his jail cell in Rome. I've actually been to that jail cell, by the way. It's not a very nice place. He gives, a sh- in verses uh, 7 through 18, he gives a shout out to the folks there at Colossae. But then he also provides some very, very important parting instructions, verses 2 through 6. And we'll concentrate on those this morning. And basically, the instructions are this. Pray regularly. Live wisely. And speak graciously. Let's take a look at these instructions more closely. Beginning with verse 2, the apostle writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Sounds a lot like what the apostle told the church at Thessalonica. Pray without ceasing. It sounds a lot like what the apostle said to the Ephesians. Pray at all times in the Holy Spirit. Pray, pray, pray. The idea here is kind of this ongoing conversation we have with Jesus. I used to think this verse meant be watchful about what's going on and then pray. And I think that's a good way to read this text, but after looking at it a little bit more carefully in this word watchful, the idea is something along these lines. Protect your prayer times. Watch your prayer times, like a shepherd watches sheep, like soldiers watch on guard duty. Protect your time of prayer. Be thankful that you can pray. Now, an important thing that we can easily overlook is that this is corporate prayer that Paul is most likely talking about in the context. So Christians, when you get together... Be watchful, guard that prayer time you have. I imagine in the early church, the first century church, folks would come to hear scriptures read and explained, and then there'd be a whole lot of praying going on, a whole lot of praying going on. I heard this thing once, someone said, when the Lord's people are serious and they want to do business with God, they meet together over and over again. I'm thinking, yeah, man, it's good stuff right there, Mm mm-hmm. But uh, what we're looking at here also applies to us individually in our individual prayer lives. And I know that in a group this size, many of y'all start your days with a quiet time, devotions, a nice little time where you can pray. And uh, I kind of want to try to do that myself as much as I can. But if you're like me... Uh, there are a lot of responsibilities and distractions, and um, sometimes having a prayer time is very, very difficult, isn't it? It's hard to continue steadfastly in prayer. Maybe that's because we've looked at prayer in in, in a wrong way. Maybe what we should strive to do is have 
a lot of little 30-second prayers with Jesus <laughs> throughout the day. Moms with little children, God bless you. <laughs> You'd be lucky if you get a minute alone. <laughs> but I think that's what Paul is saying here. Be praying throughout the day and make these prayers count. Lord, I need your help today, please. I don't know how many times I've prayed that this week. I need you. Here I go. Short little prayers, little conversations with Jesus. Maybe that's the way we need to do it, most of us. And believe you me, there will come a time in your life as you get older where the Lord will give you more time to pray. But maybe in these seasons right now that you find yourselves in, those little 30-second conversations with Jesus are the best way to carry this out. But I do know this, after being in public ministry now for 40 years, that sometimes the Lord's people have difficulty continuing in prayer because we're disappointed with God. We're disappointed with His people. Does praying really make a difference? God has seemed to have ignored me. I don't feel like praying. I understand that. And I've been there and sometimes still find myself in those moments. There's a kind of prayer that can be prayed if that is your experience. It's called lament. Lament is complaining with confidence to God. Lament is being emotionally raw with God, emotionally honest. Some years ago, I had the opportunity to hear Dr. John Coe, uh, a wonderful uh, spiritual life teacher. He said, many of the Lord's people tend to be guarded, mechanical, performance-focused, or really nice when we pray. We hide in our prayer lives. Now, when I heard that, I sat in my seat very sanctimoniously adjusting my halo, saying, that's not the way I pray. But then I had to stop and think, yeah, I could stand to be more honest with God in my praying. There's a great book that Dr. Coe put out just last year called Where Prayer Becomes Real. Ooh, man, it's good when it comes to being honest. I can grow in that area. We all can grow in being very honest in our prayer lives. But there's another reason why sometimes we have difficulty continuing in prayer and being watchful in it. And it goes something like this. You start out the Christian journey really excited about the Lord, really excited about studying the Scriptures and sharing the love of Jesus with folks. But something happens. Something happens. It's best captured in the words of the righteous brothers. 
you've lost that love and feeling. And it's gone, gone, gone. Or in the words of B.B. King, thrill is gone. We're just not getting much out of praying. And there's a term for this that the spiritual masters have so brilliantly come up with. They call them spiritual dry times. Sometimes they're called dark nights of the soul. Sometimes they're called desert times. I've been through those. It's hard to pray. The Bible is just paper, ink, and leather. We've all been there to some degree. And what the spiritual masters tell us when we find ourselves in those times is this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If you're in a place where you're disappointed with the Lord, disappointed with His people, your life is dry as a bone spiritually, please talk to one of the pastors. Please talk to someone who you respect and who is wise and who's a good listener. We need folks like that to help us in our lament and help us to journey through those dry times. I want to throw something out, too, to RC leaders in the spirit of this text that we're looking at. Every now and again, devote a single evening to prayer. You Take a few minutes to get prayer requests. Don't let it take up all the time because they can do that. But devote an entire evening to just praying. I should make one final note here, very necessary note when we're looking at this exhortation, this instruction in verse 2. Spiritual warfare was a very real thing for the Colossian church. The elemental spirits of the world the rulers and authorities that Paul mentions. I would follow the, the lead of other New Testament scholars who believe these are most likely elemental spirits, rulers and authorities, evil spirits who've invaded the religious systems of the day, evil spirits who have invaded the governing structures of the day. It's no surprise that Paul, in his Ephesian correspondence, says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And believe you me, prayer is so important in spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 3, At the same time, pray also for us, called in Timothy, that God may open a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul's in prison there in Rome. He realizes there are probably some more court dates on his schedule 
And dear Colossians, will you pray that the Lord would open doors of opportunity for me to share the gospel? And, and would you pray also that I could do so in a way that's clear and understandable? I think a point of application that we can take away from this text is this, pray for those who are on the front lines. Pray for those who are on the front lines of gospel ministry. And by the way, some of those folks are in this very room this morning. If you're with any campus group right now that's serving on the university, Athletes in Action crew, IV, NAV, STUMO, RS, RUF, <laughs> I'm about to break out in Aretha Franklin here. <laughs> if you are with a campus ministry right now, please stand up. Please stand up. Thank you. I want to pray for you. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for these frontline workers. We ask that in their ministries on the front lines that you would open dorm room doors for them, Lord. You would open doors of opportunity for them to share your love. Will you give them clarity? Will you also give them what they need in terms of spiritual support? financial support, collegial support. And would you be pleased, Lord, to save many through the agency of these, our dear brothers and sisters? I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One other thing that I want to say with regard to praying for folks on the front lines, and it's this. Man, every day there is something tragic we hear on the news, something horrific, something terrible wars, civil unrest, global unrest. So much of the work of Jesus is done behind the scenes, out of public view, by faithful servants. A great prayer to pray is this, Lord, would you, would you allow your people to rise to the occasion and be agents of love, compassion, and wisdom behind the scenes of these horrific things? And would some come to know you? That's a great prayer to pray for those on the front line of gospel ministry. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making best use of the time. Walking is a metaphor that New Testament authors use to refer to our lifestyles or lifestyle choices. And we don't want to overlook this, but wisdom is an important sub-theme in the epistle to the Colossians. A lot of false wisdom out there, Paul says, so I want you to live according to the true wisdom that is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Chapter 2, verse 3. Be filled in the knowledge of His will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Chapter 1, verse 9. We must remember this, brothers and sisters. The opposite of wisdom 
is foolishness. Wisdom is the ability to live life skillfully. Foolishness from the biblical perspective is being stubborn, not teachable, unable to perceive or forecast danger, but it's also seen in a rigidity in the way we think and live, an arrogant pride that rejects God's way of doing things. Isn't it interesting that in the Ephesian letter, Paul writes this in chapter 5, be careful attention then, uh, excuse me, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will is. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, here's a question I need to ask myself. We need to ask each other ask ourselves, do I make foolish lifestyle choices? Do I live foolishly among my neighbors, co-workers, and fellow students? Outsiders have this capacity to see right through us. And believe you me, <laughs> Outsiders are looking at us all the time as Christians. They can see our dishonesty, our hypocrisy, our self-righteousness, our needless judgmentalism, and they can see that we're very poor listeners at times. Earlier in the letter, Paul warns of sexual sin and greed as expressions of foolishness. One of the things that I am learning, and I hope this is one of the big takeaways for y'all this morning, growing into the likeness of Jesus not only means taking on the virtues of Christ as we age, but spiritual transformation also involves a movement away from foolishness and a movement toward wisdom. We can be six days old in Jesus, six decades old in Jesus, and we still got a lot to learn. We still have a lot of area for growth when it comes to wisdom. And I want to say one other thing, and this is more of a thinking point than a preaching point. Becoming wise as a Christian will sometimes mean doing and saying things that are counterintuitive. Christ-honoring, but counterintuitive. Think about that. Think about that, especially as we live among outsiders. The latter part of verse 5, Paul says, make the best use of the time. In a context where he's talking about speaking, he's likely saying this. When you have an opportunity to speak for Jesus, take advantage of that opportunity to speak. And how should we do it? Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how 
you ought to answer each person. As Christians, are we to be truth-tellers to the outside world? Mm-hmm. Amen. But we're also, Paul says earlier in the book, to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Gracious speech is attempts to meet outsiders where they're at in their life story. Gracious speech is speech that is life-giving, encouraging. Gracious speech, somehow in some mysterious work of the Holy Spirit, gracious speech makes Jesus attractive and desirable. Now, the Apostle Paul, we know, understood that there are different kinds of people in the world, different ethnicities, folks of different age standings, folks who are different in age. There are men and women. We also know, too, that folks in the world who don't know Jesus have differing attitudes about Jesus. Some folks are adversarial. Some folks are apathetic and indifferent. Some are nicely disagreeable. And then there are those who are open. And so what becomes necessary then is discernment. Someone who was much, much smarter than me once put it this way regarding discernment. Discernment is the ability to say the right thing at the right time to the right person or persons in the right way. That is Holy Spirit work there, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we just don't know who's ready to hear, who isn't. Paul, a good rabbi, he probably, would, he probably had Proverbs uh, 26 in his back pocket. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, uh, do not answer fools according to their folly, uh, or you'll become a fool yourself. Verse 5 of Proverbs 26 says, answer fools according to their folly, lest they become wise in their own eyes. It takes a ton of discernment to know where people are at in their openness to Jesus. I will say this. Uh, we don't have to be evangelistic superstars when it comes to telling people about Jesus, though that sure helps. Probably the best thing is just to let people know what Jesus has done for you. That's a great starting point in having a conversation. And circling back to the question I raised at the beginning of this message, why is Jesus so important to you? I think here's the answer I would give. I would go something like, man, that's a great question. Uh, I think the reason why Jesus is so important to me is because without Jesus, I would be a self-focused, proud, phony. 
I would be a corrupt man who would corrupt others. The reason why Jesus is so important to me is there is no other religion in the world, no other set of self-help techniques that's going to deliver me from myself. And without Jesus, I faced an eternity without him. And that, that does, that's not a very pretty picture. As we leave here today and throughout this week, we can be thinking about the following things. First, how can I pray more consistently, more efficiently, and more honestly in my very busy life? As a people who are supposed to be steadfast in prayer, think about that. Ask the Lord to help you with that. How can I live wisely among those who don't believe, as shrewd as a serpent, but as innocent as a pigeon? <laughs> innocent as doves. And then finally, in a few short sentences, am I able to tell unbelievers why Jesus is so important to me? Let's pray. King Jesus, we realize that you have us on a mission for you, and uh, we want to carry out this mission in the power of your Spirit. And we need your help when it comes to being steadfast in prayer. We need your help when it comes to living wisely, and we need your help in being able to talk to those who don't know you about how beautiful, good, and wonderful you are. Will you help us in this task, Lord? May you become famous in Tucson as a result, and would you bring us great joy and peace in this process? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.